Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me this morning, please? Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise this morning. Uh, we recognize the, the gift uh, it is to come and worship together as a body. Uh, we rejoice in that this morning. Uh, we ask that you just be uh, with us as we open up your word, Father. Uh, provide me clarity. Uh, allow me to speak your truth. Father, we, we recognize that, that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, we, we, we ask that this morning we would look different as we walk out these doors because of the time in your word this morning. Father, most of all, we are thankful for the gift of your Son, whom we can call Lord and Savior. We ask all these things in his name this morning. Amen. I'd like for you, as we, as we start this morning, to think about the word motive. Just, just a moment or two, in your mind, how would you define the word motive? What comes to mind when you think about the word motive? How do your motives define you? I mean, a motive is something that causes a person to act in a certain way or to do a certain thing. Is this how you would define it? I mean, something that causes you to act or even just to do something. This leads to the next question of what motivates you. Two illustrations that, that might help with that. The first is about a teenager who lost his contact lens while playing basketball in his driveway. After a, a fruitless search, he told his mother the lens was nowhere to be found. Undaunted, she goes outside. And a few minutes later, she returns with the lens in her hand. The teenager says, I really looked hard for that, Mom. How did you find it? She said, we weren't looking for the same thing. You were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> or, or the next illustration, there's a, a busy dental office and, and one patient who is just always late. Calls to confirm their appointment and in that conversation informs the office that he'll be about 15 minutes late. Says that won't be a problem, will it? And he was told, no, that shouldn't be a problem. We just won't have time to give you an anesthetic. So he arrived early. Two illustrations of things that, that do greatly motivate us. The first one is money, and the second one is comfort. And I believe it's, it's a pretty safe statement that everybody here this morning, at some point, has been motivated by either money or comfort. But there's other things in our lives that motivate us as well. And, and today we celebrate Father's Day. And, and this is the day that, that we thank our dads just this one time a year and, and thank them about how great of an example they have been in our lives. But realize that, that even dads are not immune to selfish motivation. And as a father myself, I can, I can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and, and, and fill you in on, on some selfish parenting. When the Harrisons arrive somewhere, whether we've been invited or, or we're going somewhere of importance, the moment we arrive, before anyone has a chance to unbuckle their seatbelt, I've already begun the lecture. It, it's more of a brief warning or 
maybe even more of a threat. But, it, but the abbreviated version goes something <laughs> like this. Do not do anything that's going to embarrass me. Be polite. Remember that you are not at your home. And remember, I'm not afraid to drag you out to the van. See, this is loving, right? I mean, now, I I do want them to grow up with an understanding of how to respect other people and their property. I mean, absolutely. I mean, but I want to leave, and I really want people to walk up to me and say, man, your children are really well behaved. You see, my desire is to have my children grow up with respect. But my motive is so often to be seen as a good parent. I mean, it comes down to motives, whether it's money, whether it's comfort, whether it's selfish parenting. It it could run the gamut. But every one of us must be willing to ask the hard question, what's my motive? I mean, what's the motive behind what I'm doing or what I'm thinking? And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to open them up to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 18 this morning. And as you turn uh, to the section in Galatians, I want to remind you about where we have been the past three weeks through this book. First of all, we've been reminded about the one and only gospel. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes that he's astonished that they have so quickly deserted the gospel of Christ. In, in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul writes that, that we're justified by our faith in Christ and nothing we could do could possibly add to our justification. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, Paul writes that we're now free and we're to use our freedom to love one another. Our freedom is not to be used to indulge our flesh. So this morning we find ourselves at the end of Paul's letter. And he leaves the Galatians with this final, (coughs) excuse me, and very important ending. So let's look at Galatians chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 11 through 18 this morning. Paul writes, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision <coughs> Excuse me, in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The first thing that Paul does is he picks up his pen to warn us. At this point, this book has been translated by Paul to a scribe. But this section, Paul takes the pen and he begins to write this this warning. 
And, and he warns them against this tendency that, that we all have, this, this tendency which is a danger, not just in our daily life, but a danger that, that can creep inside of the church walls as well. And this danger is that, that we all have this need, this desire to contribute something to our own salvation. I mean, so these very things that we've covered the past three weeks are now being highlighted as Paul closes his letter. The, the danger that we want to add to the gospel, that our works would justify us. All this as an attempt to indulge our flesh. See, it's when we bow to this danger, this desire to contribute something to the gospel, this is actually when we subtract from the gospel. And, and we're not blatantly looking to replace the gospel. We're just simply trying to add to it. And it's when we add to it that Scripture says that we fall under the curse of God. A.W. Pink once said, The greatest mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. Or as, or as Tully and uh, Chavidjan says, The most dangerous thing that can happen to you is that you become proud of your obedience. It's when we're looking to ourselves, to our own obedience. This is when we're in the greatest danger. And, and this should get our attention. This should grab us by the collar, and this should shake us. I mean, we're pretty quick to remember the positive things of our lives. I mean, we're pretty quick to, to remember the things we do well, the things that, that we like about ourselves, the things that we know others like about us. But we find it pretty difficult to recall the the selfish, pride-driven aspects of our lives. Those we tend to forget. I've had the privilege of playing a few rounds of golf so far this summer. And, and there's this one gentleman that I have played with recently uh, a few rounds, and, and, and he just outdrives me every time. Just doesn't matter. Just outdrives me. <coughs> but there were two holes where I outdrove him. Those are the two I remember. I don't remember the 60 other times he has beat me by 50, 60 yards. I remember that time that I got him by 10. We're quick to remember the things that we like, the things that make us feel good. And we're quick to push away the things that don't paint us in such a good light. So let's look at verses 12 through 14. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. My first car was my first car was a 1979 Renault LeCar. It was an odd color green and it kind of just looked like a roller skate on wheels. But I was able to buy it for $500 and the guy actually threw in a second LeCar for me to use as parts. <laughs> which 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 is never a good sign when you're buying the car. 
But with all that said, it was a great first car. I learned how to drive stick in that car. Um, I was able to put in my own stereo. Um, it was a good ride. But it had its share of problems, too. And, and one of the biggest issues was the steering. It, it seemed to never really stay aligned. And, and if you've ever driven a car that's been out of line, you, you know that it, it's just this constant struggle to keep the car in the lane. It, it just wants to always drift. And, and so you're constantly trying to correct the errant steering. And, and this is what Paul's kind of talking about here. Our hearts are out of alignment. They're constantly veering off towards this self-salvation, this, this idea that we can add something. And it takes this constant focus to fight against that drifting. And, and we need to hold the focus to keep us correct and straight. So instead of promoting truth, we allow ourselves to be more concerned about preserving our own way, our own ideals. We become more concerned about our own temporary security, our comfort, our position, our life, than the eternal condition of others. And that sounds horrible, right? That we would be more concerned about preserving our own ideals than the salvation of those around us. That is truly horrible. And now let's not Photoshop things here either. We like what we like. And if we think it's important, then we're not afraid to hold others to it. We're not, a, we're not afraid to have others follow us or even pull them because we think it's a value. That's horrible. But, but when do good deeds become just showy? I mean, it's when they become displays of pride, when, when they're done to call attention to ourselves. I mean, look, look how I am. I mean, look, look how I do this. If, if you ever spend time with teenagers down through and you watch them pray, you can, you can tell how they've been taught. As a child... I was taught to always fold my hands on my lap and bend my head down. Now, I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible in my life, and I have nowhere have found that I'm supposed to grasp my hands together like this. Not like this, like this. It, but it's been how I was taught. And, and these are the things that, that we're talking It isn't about what's right, what's wrong, what we like, what we don't like. It's about what Scripture says. Jesus warned us about self-serving, those looking for, for their heaven points, those who are parading around with their righteousness. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find several examples of what Jesus thought about being self-serving. Matthew 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, they may, that they may be seen by men. Chapter 6, verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Or chapter 23, verses 5 through 7, But at their works they do... 
but all their works they do to be seen by men. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Obviously, Jesus did not think too highly of religious people whose, whose life was lived just to show, instead of the glory of God, to show how important they are, how spiritual they are. The Judaizers wanted to boast about these new converts being a part of their own little following. In verse 13, it indicates this. It says, not even those who were circumcised keep the law. Yet they, wanted to be, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast, that they may boast about your circumcision in your flesh. Some of the Judaizers were emphasizing circumcision as proof of their holiness, as proof of their righteousness, as proof of their devotion. But they were ignoring these other pieces of the law. I mean, we do this. We, we pick and choose certain principles or rules, and we make them the measuring sticks of our faith. But Paul condemns them for their dishonesty. They had no intention of keeping the whole law. I mean, even if they could, which they could not, but their seemingly reverence to the, to the law was not only there because it helped them obtain their real goal. And their real goal was more converts for their cause. They wanted to brag about how many they had won over to their system. I was recently given a, a, pocket, testimony, or a pocket testament of the Gospel of John. And it's a great tool. To, excuse me, to share the gospel. My only issue with this booklet was that in the very back of the booklet, there's a space to put information, a, a member ID number, so that if somebody comes to know Christ, they could then go on the website and enter that number on the site. It would then allow me to go on, and now I'm quoting the booklet, to see the stories of people who have been directly impacted by me. So I could see who has been impacted by me. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're not impacted by me. They're impacted by the Word of God and they're impacted by the Holy Spirit. The only thing that tracking the stories of those that I've impacted will do for me is allow me to boast in my own flesh. And this is what Paul talks about. I mean, in verse 14, Paul totally takes our focus now and pushes it right on the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul comes back to the cross again because it's central to his theology, it's central to his life, and it should be central to ours. I mean, why does Paul boast about the cross? Because of the person and the power. I mean, we should only boast about the cross of Christ because of the person on the cross. Jesus Christ is mentioned 45 times in this letter. One third of the verses here contain some reference to him. Jesus Christ captivated Paul. It calls Paul to, to glory in the cross. He focused on his Savior. He focused on our Savior. 
The second reason he boasted was about the power of the cross. For Paul, the cross meant deliverance. It meant freedom. It meant victory. I mean, there was no, there's no power in the law. There's no power in the world. There's no power in the flesh. It only comes from the cross. But through applying the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection, God puts to death the flesh and releases the believers to a life of victory. You see, crucifixion is not an instantaneous death. But instead, it's, it's a very slow and painful way to die. In that same manner, the death of a Christian believer to sin does not take place in a mere moment of special miracle fairy dust. But as in physical crucifixion is painful and slow. And all this is necessary. All of it is necessary if we're to walk in the Spirit and and if we're really to live a life of faithful service to Christ. For only by identifying ourselves with Christ's crucifixion can we die to, to this fleshly way of thinking, to this way of worldly living that seeks to dominate, that seeks to, to hold on to us every moment of our day. I mean, the world is full of distractions. It's, it's full of these shiny in, in, enticements that, that hang in front of us. Daily, you're, you're confronted with, with subtle and, and even not so subtle pressures and lies. And the only way to escape these destructive influences is to ask God to help you crucify our interests in them, just as Paul did. How often? <coughs> How often is our response to sin just prideful and just arrogant? We find ourselves saying, I know I messed up. I got this. I won't do it again. And we know what happens next. The next opportunity we have to do it again, we do. So stop boasting in your own flesh and ask God to help you crucify it. I mean, what's your motive? Is your motive to feel good because you can handle it? Or to boast in the cross, and put the sin to death. I mean, we all boast in something. Some accomplishment, some characteristic, some relationship. We all do it. We all boast. Boasting is is more than bragging. It is, according to John Stott, to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, love for something. That object of our boast, our glory, fills our horizons, engrosses our intentions, absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. There's a quote above my door in my office by Martin Luther. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Everybody boasts in something. I mean, it could be your popularity, it could be your intellect, it could be your appearance, it could be your influence, it could be your job performance. It could be how spiritual you are. I mean, look how well-worn my Bible is. We all boast in something. But we also need to understand that our, that our boasting 
our obsession, our identity should ultimately come from only one place. The cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, today we, we think about the cross as, as something noble, as something beautiful. In Paul's day, it was the ugliest thing possible. I mean, you couldn't mention the cross in polite society. Phil Riken wrote, The Romans considered the cross to be degrading, disgusting, despicable, detestable, and disgraceful. But, but Paul says, That is his boast. Paul looked at the cross. And he saw that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. He looked at the cross and he saw his salvation. That Christ had paid in full. We've been forgiven. We've been justified. God's wrath has been turned away. We now stand innocent before God because of that cross. Don't boast in anything else. Boast only in the cross. But the problem that we face, the struggle we have, is that you cannot boast in the cross and in yourself at the same time. If you glory in the cross, you have to stop trusting in your own merit and trust in Christ alone. If we understand if we understand that, that we all boast, and if we understand that it only makes sense to boast in one thing, and that is the cross, then we need to understand what it does for us. When we boast in the cross, it changes everything. Paul says that the world has been crucified to him. The cross completely changes what we value and what we care about. Tim Keller puts it this way, the gospel changes what I fundamentally boast in. It changes the whole basis for my identity. Therefore, nothing in the world, nothing in the whole world has any power over me. I am free at last to enjoy the world, for I do not need the world. I feel neither inferior to anyone nor superior to anyone. And I'm being made all over into someone and something entirely new. The gospel completely changes what we boast in. It completely changes our identity and our values. When, when the cross grips us, when the cross grabs us, we begin to see that it, it's the only thing that truly matters. Our motives and our thoughts are changed forever. And Paul wants you to get this. At the end of the letter, he takes a pen in his hand. And he wants to get to the point of what matters most. To put all your confidence, all your boasting in what Jesus has done for you. If you're going to brag, brag about Jesus and his saving work. Verse 15 tells us the purpose of the cross is to make us a new creation. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been made new. You see, the law was to prepare for the coming of Christ, to show the way, to teach them how far short they fall of the glory of God. The cross was to bring about a new creation. 
a new people, a new nation, to redeem us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. God has done a new thing in the work of Christ and makes new things for those who live and service in His power for His glory. Those who walk in the power of the resurrection, those who are new creations, are blessed with peace and mercy, as verse 16 states. And those who will walk by His rule, peace and mercy be upon them, even upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy to all who follow His rule. This rule, this standard, is something that that we should use to regulate our lives as believers. This rule is that salvation is by grace through faith. That those who have this new life will embrace the cross. Those who live by grace through faith in Jesus alone have a great blessing of peace and of mercy given to them. Peace and, and mercy are inseparable. Without God's mercy being shown, there is no peace. We do not deserve peace. We deserve wrath. Not peace. God's mercy opens the door for His grace and His love to be shown to us. With a final warning in verse 17. This warning to those who have been causing all this conflict. Paul concludes this letter. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Throughout this letter, Paul has fully answered the Judaizers. And he's replied to all the the trouble that they were causing and stirring up. The issue should now be settled. And Paul now expects the Galatians to end their participation with this inerrancy and to remove it from the church. He says, let there be no doubt about his commitment to Jesus, for he bears his marks. When when Paul speaks of his marks, you think about it the same way as we brand cattle. Cattle cattle are branded to show who they belong to. Paul bears the marks of his ownership. And, And these are not marks of dishonor. These are marks of true honor. Paul's referring to the scars resulting from the stoning, from the beating, scars from the chains and the leg irons. These were marks of his faithful service. These are marks not only of his faithful service, but service in extreme difficulty. And these marks speak more volume of Paul's commitment than any words that he could speak. is something we, we do struggle with. I mean, it's hard for us to identify with Paul. What, what marks do you have? I mean, some of us may bear some inward scars that have been from scorn or from intimidation, maybe being ignored as we witness for Christ. But Paul's scars, they stood out for everyone to see. This was a statement to his loyalty to Christ. 
appearing before Julius Caesar to answer accusations about his loyalty. And Topatros, the one who was being accused, said no words. Instead, he simply let his body speak by ripping off his garment to reveal his battle scars. As for his loyalty to Caesar, he had no need for words. His body, while he was silent, shouted it aloud. Paul says, I bear the marks on my body for Jesus. He didn't need to say any more to his adversaries. And in verse 18, Paul closes with a brief parting word to his friends. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The blessing Paul closes this letter with is not that they would be blessed with the law, but that they would be blessed by the the spirit of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter to the Galatians closes as it begins with grace and peace. Throughout this letter, there has been the contrast of the grace of God and our own human effort. The Galatians may have been stumbling. They may have been misguided. And they may have even been following false doctrine. But in the end, Paul still calls them his brothers and sisters. It's easy for us to get caught up with our pursuit of of heaven points. We need to be cautious when we're emphasizing what we should or, or shouldn't do. Especially when we do so with little or no concern for the condition of the heart. Paul's letter to the Galatians boldly declares the freedom of the Christian. The freedom to trust in one gospel. The freedom of justification by faith. The freedom to love one another. And the freedom to boast in the cross. Our motives say a lot about what we value and what we like and what we love. And if we're boasting in the cross, then our motives will be forever shaped by the love of our Savior. It's easy to see why Martin Luther said the epistle to the Galatians was his epistle. To it it. To it I am, as it were, in wedlock, that it is my Catherine. It is my hope that as we just spent these four brief weeks in Galatians, that you too would fall in love with this book. That you too would begin to look at it as your beloved. This Magna Carta of freedom for Christians. Let's pray. Father God, we do again give you thanks and praise for who you are this morning. We, we recognize the gift that is this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the words of Paul. Father, it's, it's, it's our desire to, to boast in the cross. But we recognize this constant struggle, this pulling that we have to, to boast on our own, to, to think we could add something to the gospel. Uh, Father, Father, allow us to be content in the gift of your Son. Allow us to recognize that that is all we need. 
that the goodness, the kindness, Father, the peace and the mercy that you provide for us cannot be added to. Father, we again give you thanks and praise. We look forward to lifting up our voices through this last song. We give you all this in your son's name this morning. Amen.